Dear Dad, it is with great regret and sorrow I am writing to you. I had to elope with my new girlfriend because I wanted to avoid a scene with you and Mom. I've been finding real passion with Joan, and she's so nice. I knew you would not approve of her because of her piercings, tattoos, and tight motorcycle clothes, and because she's so much older than I am. But it's not only passion, Dad. She's pregnant. Joan says that we're going to be very happy. She owns a trailer in the woods and has a stack of firewood, enough for the whole winter. We share a dream of having more children. Joan has opened my eyes to the fact that marijuana doesn't really hurt anyone, so we'll be growing it and trading it with the other people in the commune for all the cocaine and ecstasy we want. In the meantime, we'll pray that science finds a cure for AIDS so Joan can, she can get better. She sure deserves it. Don't worry, Dad, I'm 15 years old now and I know how to take care of myself. Someday, I'm sure we'll be back to visit you so you can get to know the grandchildren. Your son, Chad. P.S. Dad, none of the above is true. I'm over at Tommy's house. I just wanted to remind you that there are worse things in life than the report card that's in my desk drawer. (laughs) I love you. Call me when it's safe to come home. So, (laughs) I love the line. Just got enough firewood for the for the winter. (laughs) Anyways, well, as we begin our study of one of the shortest books in the New Testament, we're already familiar really with the background. If you were here last semester, we studied 1 John together, and it's the same background. In our study of this brief letter, the focus, though, is not so much on assurance of salvation and tests to make sure you are a believer, But he is a continuing uh, dealing with false teachers. And there's a correction in this short letter to believers who've been giving financial aid and support to missionaries who came that were in error. So we know that hospitality is an important part of every believer's life. And it was especially critical, as you know, in the ancient world uh, where nothing was available like a clean hotel room. It was believers in local churches that provided food and shelter and supplies for missionaries as they need help on their way and on their journey. So the problem is false teachers posed posed as genuine believers, resulting in unsuspecting Christians being led astray by their error. John wrote wrote to this individual woman and her children because in her heart of love she had offered many times hospitality to some of these false teachers and had assisted them on their way, unknowingly helping in an effort that was wrong. Certainly we are to love people, but that love can never be at the expense of the truth. The truth taught in this brief letter is that helping a false teacher financially or in any other way makes you a participant in their evil deeds. And that is why it's so critical that we evaluate everyone that we listen to and support financially. What do they actually believe? What do they actually teach? This short letter also gives us instruction on what to do when someone comes to our door and wants to come in our house and have a chat about what they believe. We are not to welcome error into our homes or encourage them in what they are doing. Sometimes there may be an opportunity to present the gospel at the door for the sake of the person in training there, but is often not welcomed. It would seem that this woman and her family, John knew them personally, and so in this brief letter, we see the importance of truth and love working together and for the importance of discernment. And again, I thank my husband's books, library notes, in helping me put this together. 
So John warns believers to be discerning. The elder to the chosen lady and her children whom I love in the truth. So John, first of all, identifies himself as the elder. He is the last living apostle with authority over God's people. He says he's writing to the chosen lady and her children. It would seem he knew her and her kids, and likely she was a widow because there's no mention of her husband here. His love for them has to do with the truth of the gospel. Their hearts had been knit together because of the gospel. And again, we see John makes it clear that the truth of the gospel is the reason that Christians love each other. We don't love each other because we like the same food, have the same hobby, or the same sports team. No, that's nice if we do, but rather we love because of the truth of the gospel that we've embraced. Verse 2 says, For the sake of the truth which abides in us all and will be with us forever. In other words, it is for the truth's sake that we love each other. When we are committed to the truth of the gospel, the fact that man is sinful, that God is just and holy, that Jesus' work on the cross was sufficient to provide forgiveness of sins for those who trust in him by faith alone, then with that in common, we have a love for each other. We believe the same things, but if these truths are compromised, one begins to drift away from their fellow believers because your commitment to the truth is the thing that binds you together. That brings us to the blessings of God that are given in the context of truth and love. He says in verse 3, grace, mercy, and peace will be, with, will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in love and truth. You keep hearing love and truth, love and truth. <clears throat> John gives a blessing to this woman and her children, and the blessing is because of love and truth. This very loving woman and her children did not always express their love with wisdom. By being hospitable to false teachers, they were actually hindering truth. And truth and love must work together. Our love must never be hindered, <clears throat> our love rather must never hinder truth because we fail to be discerning. So believers must stay committed to the truth of the word of God. He says in verse 4, I was very glad to find some of your children walking in the truth just as we have received the commandment to do from the Father. Now I ask you, lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. Sounds very similar to what we studied last semester in 1 John. <clears throat> but before tackling the subject of being discerning with this woman, he encourages her to stay committed to the truth. He doesn't want her to lose her desire to serve and be hospitable, nor to hinder her from loving other believers. He just wants her to channel her zeal without any compromise of the truth. And even though many thousands of years have passed, the same message is true for us. That's why it's in the word of God. And we are to believe and obey the truth of scripture. Sadly, there are so many churches today in the label of Christendom who simply pick and choose what it is they're going to teach or what they're going to tell their people to obey. Believers are often consumed with ourselves and our feelings and so it's easy to fail to see how critical it is to obey scripture. Well, I don't feel love. I don't feel like forgiving. All believers are to walk, though, in the truth. And so John is driving home this point. 
So he says, walking in the truth means obeying the Father's commands. I was very glad to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we received the commandment to do from the Father. So the delight of John's heart was to hear about her children continuing on in their faith and in their walk. Believers are told to walk in love. We're told to walk in wisdom. We're told to walk by the control of the Holy Spirit. So when John says walking in the truth, he's talking about individuals who walk. This is just your conduct in your daily life. And they were to be controlled by the truths from God's word. Why? Because this is a command from the Father. Each one of us is who claims that we have a personal relationship with Jesus by faith must adhere to what God's word says and live our lives consistently with what the truth of the scripture says. Notice how the apostle John was so very glad that her children walked in truth. There is nothing that can bring joy, greater joy to a spiritual leader than to know that those who one has taught, invested in, actually continue in the truth and grow. The greatest joy for a pastor shouldn't be a number of people who come or the money of the budget that's come in, but it should be people listening to the word and then putting it into practice in their lives. Another point about walking in the truth is seen in verse 5. Now I ask you, lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one which we've had from the beginning, that we love one another. As we know, this is a basic command for every believer at the start of your Christian life, to love fellow believers. And as we saw when we studied 1 John, if there is no love for believers, for God's word, these are tests to see if you truly know Christ. This is to be the priority for every believer. Without love, we are nothing. And walking in the truth is the defining characteristic of obedience to the word of God. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Of course, if you don't even know his commandments, you don't even know how you're supposed to be walking. Obedience to God is the priority for a believer because we love him and we want to please him. God gives his own children a new heart at the moment they call upon him, turn from their sin, call on him for salvation. He gives us a new nature, and that new nature has a desire to please the Lord and obey him. And that is so important because John is making it clear that having a commitment to the truth, that is the only way you can oppose error. This is the point of this brief letter. This woman had naively supported ungodly, non-Christian missionaries who sounded very plausible, And she didn't even realize it. She, like us, must see that it is critical to have zeal to obey the truth of Scripture along with our love. But it must be based on truth. And only when we love the truth will we have a holy hatred for error and deception that actually opposes God's truth. He goes on to say about the dangers of these false teachers. For many deceivers have gone out into the world those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and antichrist. So we see clearly that the reason John is writing this brief letter is to warn this sweet lady uh, and her adult children about the danger of being deceived by these traveling false teachers. It appears that she had been practicing her hospitality and financial support to some of these false, deceptive, false teachers, and John is telling her this has to stop. He cares about her, and he is warning her of the danger that she is putting herself in, not even realizing it. He goes on to say, false teachers are deceptive. He tells her and all of us that we must walk in the truth of God's word because there are so many deceivers. 
who've gone into the world. Just as Jesus has ambassadors going throughout the world to share the good news of the gospel, so Satan has his demonic hosts and his ambassadors bringing air to try to deceive people. They oppose Christ. They're deceptive. Their goal is to cause believers to wander from the truth of Scripture. They target people and get them to drift away from the truth. They give the appearance of being one of Christ's sheep. They appear as angels in light, as, of light, but in reality, they are savage wolves. They speak about the Bible. They use words that make them sound solid. But what they mean by the words they use and what the Bible means by those same words are often two different things. They are disguised as righteous people who talk about their love for Jesus, but they are characterized in character by greed and often in morality. They, with their ego, want a following for themselves. And John says they do not acknowledge Jesus as coming in the flesh. So they don't necessarily deny Christ as being human verbally, but they don't acknowledge it. They uh, have to sound orthodox in order to be embraced by believers. I mean, if somebody came in with some off-the-wall uh, crazy stuff, nobody's going to pay attention. But it's always truth mixed with error. We must listen to what they are saying, but we must also listen to what they are not saying. A solid Bible teacher tells you what they believe, but false teachers are guarded and they're hard to nail down because they do not want to be detected. False teachers are always wrong about some aspect of the work or the person of Jesus. The error they teach has to do with who Jesus is or something to do with his work on the cross. In order to have the gospel message, you have to have a correct understanding of who Jesus is. He must be embraced as man and God because only man could die as a substitute for the sacrifice, as a substitute for sins, and only God could give a sacrifice that had eternal value. And that's why John calls false teachers deceivers and antichrist. They speak of Jesus, but personally, they reject his authority over their lives. They reject the authority of the word of God over their lives. As antichrist, they are the forerunner to the antichrist who will rise on the scene during the great tribulation that Revelation and Daniel talks about. So we must realize that behind every false teacher, whether they're incredibly popular on TV or the internet or in bookstores, is Satan because they are his ambassadors, knowingly or unknowingly. And that is why it's critical for believers to walk in the truth. It is your knowledge of the truth in the Bible that will keep you from being deceived by false teachers who sound so very convincing and can have such a charismatic personality. We must constantly be growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ and fill our minds with truth from his word. We are responsible to focus on Christ and walk in the truth of his word. And even the most mature Christian can get confused and need help distinguishing truth from error. I mean, if you're someone who thinks, I would never be deceived, that's not good. <laughs> you don't want to be that person. Part of God's plan for the local church is that there are qualified elders who shepherd and pastor the believers and warn them and protect them from the error out there that's being propagated. I recently heard a message <clears throat> to beware of certain aspects of the social justice movement because many within Christendom have 
put that in the same level as the gospel message and included it as a necessary part of the gospel message. Even well-meaning, well-educated Bible teachers can be sucked into error. John makes it clear in this section that no believer should in any way financially support or encourage work that isn't absolutely in line with God's word. And the reason is because it's so dangerous to help such a person. It's dangerous for you personally, and it's dangerous corporately for the local church. False teachers are dangerous because they can cause us to lose our reward. I bet that's not something I know I thought about before studying this. John says, watch yourselves, in verse 8, that you do not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. So John tells us to watch ourselves. Keep an eye on yourself. Be alert. Why? Being swayed by these false teachers, embracing what they say, can result in two losses. The loss of the work of ministering the gospel to the readers, in John's case, and then the reader's loss of losing spiritual reward. So John is concerned that if his readers become prey to these false teachers, then his work as a missionary and apostle will be destroyed if they embrace, and in this case, it was Gnostic teaching. Uh, You know, you have to have some higher level of knowledge. In other words, his labor would be in vain. And then the other concern is the loss of rewards. We know from Matthew 5.12 and 2 Corinthians 5.10 that God is going to reward believers for their faithfulness in service done for him while on earth. We certainly can never lose our salvation and our salvation is never based on our works, but it is possible to lose the potential rewards that we would have because of a lack of faithfulness to Christ. If we depart from the truth and follow error, we won't get all the rewards we could have had we been loyal to Christ and his word. False teachers are dangerous for these reasons, and I think every believer, the moment you meet Jesus face to face, what you want to hear is, well done, good and faithful servant. But if we have embraced false teaching, he will not be able to say that. This is why the emphasis in this letter is that we walk in the truth. Our loyalty must be to Christ and his word. John has clearly warned us that false teachers are deceptive. They are the reason for loss of rewards. And then he goes on to say, when we embrace what they teach, we are participating in their evil deeds. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. As you remember, um, the particular era of the Gnostics was their emphasis on knowledge. And it was a knowledge that went beyond scripture. So beware. If you're reading a book or hearing a speaker who is claiming to have knowledge from God beyond the scripture, they're having supernatural new revelation directed to them, that should be a huge red flag. So they believed they had, in the Gnostic thinking, that they had advanced to higher and higher knowledge so other people, you know, you poor peon people don't, aren't enlightened like us. One author put it this way, they had advanced so far that they had left God behind them. Not only that, they were completely off on the humanity of Jesus, who he was and what he had done on the cross. Something that should be a red flag when listening to any Bible teacher is their failure to have the Bible as their absolute authority. If it's their experience, if it's their opinion, don't listen. They often pride themselves in having advanced thinking that leads beyond what the Bible says. And they come up with their own views about Christ, views that are inspired by Satan. 
they do not have God, John says. Regardless of what they claim, they are not in a right relationship with God through Jesus. People who speak about their close walk with God, but speak nothing about Jesus, are simply walking close to a God of their own making in their mind. There is no way to know God apart from Jesus and the truth about him. Verses 10 and 11, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house and do not give him a greeting. For the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. Now John addresses the problem believers face when good sounding yet false teachers come to us and want help in their ministry, want your money. They are not to be welcomed into your home, nor should they be given any type of affectionate greeting. Clearly, John is not forbidding having unbelievers come into our home, visitors who need a place to stay. Rather, John is forbidding us from welcoming and entertaining a false teacher in our home or helping them along their way. To assist a false teacher is to become an accomplice with the error that they are spreading. How many believers have sent their hard-earned money to false teachers, not realizing they're providing funds for Satan's work, not God's work? So is John saying, be rude to people who come to your door? Don't speak to your relatives who are part of a cult or a false religious system? It's probably good to look at what John is not saying. He's not talking about refusing to entertain personal friends, unbelievers, non-Christian family members, business associates, and so on. If that were the case, how could you ever share the gospel with somebody? Jesus engaged in conversations with unbelievers of all types all the time. And we are always to be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within us. Which means we are talking to all different types of unbelievers that come across our path. Having an evangelistic home Bible study would not violate what John is talking about. So what is he really saying? He is speaking of a professional false teacher who comes to your door for the purpose to try to teach you and convince you of their unbiblical views about Christ or how one has salvation. He is only referring to those who are teachers of error and opponents of the gospel who want to win over people to their heresy. A traveling missionary in that day would use the home of their host, who would then gather other believers from the local home church to come and hear him teach. So to invite a false teacher into your home and then let them tell you, your family, or your church family about their belief, that is what John is saying has to stop. You know they're in your neighborhood, they're at your door knocking in order to win people to their false system. As a believer, we must never give them the opportunity to spread this error. I know I have had many opportunities through the years to say something when such individuals come to my door. They don't really come too much anymore, I don't know. If it's because of what I say, but I don't speak unkindly, but simply inform them that I am a follower of Jesus. I believe he is God. He is total deity and that he died for my sins. And that's the only way my sins could be forgiven an eternal God giving an eternal sacrifice. But what you teach denies the deity of Jesus and that sadly you don't realize that what you're teaching actually has its source as a doctrine from demons. Therefore, I cannot listen to anything you have to say. My hope has always been in this brief kind of conversation to maybe cast out in the trainee's mind. Uh, the one who's the main speaker is pretty firm in their error. 
It isn't that they are just unbelievers knocking at your door. They are false teachers. Therefore, we must not give them a platform to speak their error. One author put it this way. John is not talking about a traveler who needs lodging for the night. He's referring to the teacher who intends to destroy the church of Jesus Christ. Should a Christian be concerned for the soul of that teacher? Yes. By taking full control of the situation, he should instruct the teacher in the doctrines of Christ. But he must never allow the teacher to enter the Christian's home and permit him to teach. The word teacher in Jewish and early Christian circles was a title that demanded deference and submission. Pupils were duty-bound to respect and obey their teachers. Christians then ought to pay respect to a teacher, but never to a false prophet. So John says we are not to give a false teacher even a greeting. And the idea is an affectionate farewell. Not, hey, hi, but an affectionate farewell. It implies I have approval for what you're doing. And that's why we cannot wish them well in their endeavors. I find it wise to pray for them to have no success as they go to the next person on my street. So John isn't saying we should not love these people, but rather we're to love them, those in our home, and those in our church family so much so that we would protect them from being exposed to error. So as John closes this short letter in 12 and 13, he states that he has many more things he wants to say to this lady. And when he, he will prefer to do that face to face. So when he visits her, his goal is to give her further instruction on the truth, which will increase her joy. And he closes by passing along greetings from her nieces and nephews. So what's our takeaway from this short study? First of all, walk in the truth of scripture. Learn to be discerning about what is true and what is false. You have to know this. I mean, just think about bankers who know fake money because they're so familiar with real money and we need to be so familiar with the truth that error pops up with big red flags. False teachers are dangerous and they are a threat to you and me. So we best be serious about searching the scriptures and obeying the truth and making sure that what we're listening to is based in scripture. Also, we have learned that we should never support a false teacher in any way by letting them in our home, by sending money to them, or giving them the impression that we believe what they're doing is good. And true believers embrace the truth about Christ, so we must take seriously what this short letter has taught us. Evaluate who you listen to, what you read. Observe not just what they're saying, but pay attention to what they are not saying. Let's pray. By the way, thank you for this brief book. Clearly, John thought he couldn't wait any longer till he would see them face to face. He had to address this issue because it was so dangerous and it was so serious. So I pray that we would glean from the truths that uh, your inspired word has for us from this brief letter that John wrote to this woman and her family. I pray that we would be discerning, that we would see the importance of knowing the truth of your word. Lord, help us to be discerning and attentive and to not expose ourselves to error. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, ladies. We'll see you next.